Are you seriously looking into the actual actual choosing of the name? <laughs> I was expecting this to be more overtly capitalist, Craig. <laughs> I wanted... Where's my monopoly? Where is my monopoly? <laughs> I wanted more specifics about rent collection. <laughs> no, it's just the it fact... Is them dodging rent, basically? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Are you not Bonjour, hola, guten tag, shamai, welcome to Well Good Movies, and yes, we are here once again at the end of our anniversary month, and as usual, this is the podcast that gives you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching. I'm your host, David Osger, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host, Craig McDonald. Hello, Craig. Hello, David. And uh, yeah, how, how do you feel at the end of our anniversary month, Craig? Well, it's good. Like any good anniversary, uh, we have to give each other uh, gifts. So this is, with this being the uh, uh, the first year, it's paper. Uh, so I just threw a piece of paper at you. It was great. <laughs> right. Just waiting for that diamond anniversary then where I actually get diamonds. <laughs> yeah, but you're not going to like how they're going to arrive. Oh, okay. How have you felt about the the content that we've had so far this month? How, how have you felt that's gone? I think it's been good. I'm looking. I, I'm glad that we're finally getting the commentaries out there. Um, I can't wait to see some more of some more of the films we've got planned. Uh, just getting out there. Um, especially some of the the moments I've specifically got planned for you in terms of commentaries. I'm glad that we're finally do doing those. Um, I'm glad that I secured a victory over you in the end games. <laughs> stopping your monstrous I, rain and uh making the guests happy yeah i was thinking about that in terms of today's end game because when i was planning what will eventually come i was thinking did i just get lucky in terms of the topics is <laughs> today might show my general trivia of just watching something and not paying attention whether that will <laughs> whether that will come true or not it's, it's been a fun month we've had lots of look backs and today kind of still links into that element of you know long built up moments and you know sharing our love of film through uh films that we have talked about for a long time but then not equally seen so uh we'll talk more about that later uh first of all i wanted to sort of give a throwback to our early days of podcasting like i said some people might be familiar with it some others may not uh but we started as film talk as we did within this year but we started this film talk three four years ago and when we did that podcast, it was mainly a news review show. So I wanted to talk about a bit of film news because we were talking about some of these, uh, one of these stories earlier in the week, uh, just socially anyway. Um, and I thought it was just a good chance to give our opinion on it, especially because news is quite dry at the moment. So anytime film fans are getting film news, we're like, ooh, finally. Um, yeah, and, and I think these two ones are quite applicable to, to where we've, had opinions on the franchises before. Uh, so I first wanted to talk about the uh, Hunger Games prequel. Uh, we talked about this earlier in the week. Uh, Lionsgate has announced that they're doing a prequel series, uh, which is based off uh, the prequel books that uh, Susanna Collins has written or is in process of writing. Uh, and it'll act as a backstory to President Snow, who appeared in these films. Um, and I remember you had quite strong feelings on this, didn't you, Craig? What, 
what what exactly were they? If by strong mele- uh, feelings you mean a strong sense of mediocrity and just absolute apathy for giving a damn about these films, then you're right. <laughs> I mean, I just I do not know what aspects of the history of the world of the Hunger Games that they'll be able to give us that we weren't already aware of that isn't just going to be the sort of generic rise rise of of like totality. I I think because you you basically said that it's covering like the rise of President Snow, right? Yeah, yeah. I I, I just don't know how exactly how interesting that's going to be. I think it would, I think it's the sort of thing that if they wanted to make a television series about, I'd be slightly more invested because that's where you'd expect the sort of underlying political uprise. Uh, but in a film format, I just don't I just don't think there's enough meat there. And even if you were to go into the actual like failed rebellions i i think there would be a lack of emotional investment given the fact that we know that it fails so i i'm just not pumped for it basically it's a problem you get a lot with with a lot of prequels there's that element of well i know what happens or i know how it ends but there's still an element of like well how did that happen how did this take place you know um whereas this it's dealing with a character who was yes the villain but you know it's not showing how the hero of the franchise got to be where they, you know, where they were. And even though I'm excited to go back to the world, I thought that they did a really good job in setting up the world of Panem and making the different districts. I loved, you know, exploring the capital. And, and that's why, you know, when we mentioned in Movies of the Decade, I felt that uh, Catch a Fire Best encapsulated all of that world building. Uh, but like you said, it, it, if it's a prequel then we might not get any of that. We're not going to get any of the lavish lifestyle of the capital. And if there's just uprising within the different districts, then again, you saw just seeing the more down and dirty elements of the districts, which made the final two films less exciting or less visual. And yeah, President Snow, to me, there could be some interesting elements. I think the only way that it would be really interesting is if they bring in, say, the first Hunger Games, or to me, I would have been even more interested if we just went halfway through, if we said, oh, the 46th Hunger Games, or, you know, get an idea of what the world was like halfway through this entire period, rather than just, like you said, oh, there was a rebellion and it failed. How did that all go about? And how did President Snow get power by killing his enemies? You know, it, it's it's not interesting to me. I also just think that there's a degree of... And in any situation where you have like a prequel series, uh, a prequel series explaining how major events happened, there's usually more of an initial hook than just how did this person gain power. So, for example, with Star Wars, I think one of the one of the biggest questions people had, which made any form of interest in the prequels happen, was what did the Clone Wars physically look like, um, yeah. and how did a supposedly powerful generate uh, a society like the jedi how did they fall to just to just the empire so it's not just about like oh how did they get powers like all of these overarching questions and also they had the element of just uh obi-wan obi-wan's friendship with uh with anakin we've had nothing like that with with president snow that you'd actually want to to delve into they didn't seem to be any interesting connections that they could like fill in the gaps of the other story I wanted to talk about was the title that they revealed for Venom, uh, which we've known for a long time. It involved Carnage. Uh, so now they've officially titled it Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And they had a title reveal 
video for it earlier in the week, which just showed that that name appear on screen. We know that they've been filming. There's been uh, shots of Woody Harrelson in the costume, and it was meant to come out later this year. Uh, but obviously, with everything everything going on, it's now been delayed till next year. Uh, what what is your reaction to that title, Craig? I want to throw up. <laughs> like let there be carnage, is it? <laughs> just what an utterly cheap name for a film like that. Just I'm sorry. You would you set up the first one to just be so dark and brooding, and then for the second one to just have a name called "Let There Be Carnage," which made makes it sound like a directed director DVD Disney film. Like <laughs> you're not there's just no tonal consistency. I hate it. Yeah, I think a lot of, lot of people online and a lot of fans are just taking this in the light of well, the first one was goofy and silly. So it it's perfectly aligns with that, and that that's a good excuse, I suppose, for problems of that film to be excused is that they go in now with this uh, narrative of oh, it was just a goofy, silly film. It was like well, if it was goofy and silly, it still had major structural problems uh, with the narrative and just the world in general. So, and and. One of my biggest problems with that film was the end credit scene. I thought that was one of the most laughable, stupid things I've ever seen. But I, I apparently was, you know, or both of us were alone on that because nobody else seemed to bring up that. I, I, I thought it just was dumb. And, you know, I, I've had problems before with Woody Harrelson in roles like this. And, you know, maybe we'll see how it turns out. The set photos look a bit better than he did in that, that end credit scene. But again, Woody Harrelson as as Carnage doesn't never sounded like a good mix to me. But you know, I'm not the most familiar with the character, only from say the animated show. So yeah, let us know, guys, what you think of these two new stories. That there's going to be a Hunger Games prequel, a new title to the Venom film, which is Let There Be Carnage. Do you love the new title? Do you like that there's a new Hunger Games prequel coming out? Uh, let us know on our social medias and in the comments. And uh, yeah, we'll be happy to see what you all think. Uh, We now go on to our main part of this episode, which like we teased before, this month we've got the theme of one year of podcasting and, and celebrating our conversations about film. So we wanted to have a chance to talk about individual films that were more personal to us but rather than something that we instantly know it's going to be films that we have never experienced before with the specific aspect being the other person has seen that film and has always wanted the other person to see it as well so we're gonna both we've both watched uh films we've never seen before and the other person has wanted them to see it and yeah, we're going to discuss our opinions of that film, give it a review and uh, see how that other person reacts as, as you know, they've, they've wanted that person to watch it for a long time. So the film that I gave Craig was Tron Legacy. There was a few films I could have given Craig and there's a few films I thought of afterwards, which would have been good. But to me, this was the film that I had seen the most. So I knew the most about um, I felt that it was relevant because recently there has been talks of a Tron sequel, but we've had Tron sequel talks for about five, six years. But along with films like Hellboy, this is a franchise that I wanted to carry on 
um, and I felt that from the ending of Tron Legacy. I've always enjoyed the soundtrack and the visuals of the film, but yeah, this is the one which I was most intrigued as to how Craig would feel about it. And there's a lot of other big films that I've got Craig to watch in the past. So there wasn't any major standouts and there were some interesting ones I thought of afterwards. But like I said, this is the one which I felt he needs to see this because it's got a, a cult following for the original film and for, for this sequel. And yeah, there's a lot of talk all the time about will they make a third one and how much people love the soundtrack and the visuals and you know now it's on Disney Plus as well that that might research that conversation I promised you that if I ever got any information about your dad I'd tell you first right I was paged last night came from your dad's office at the arcade so so the number's been disconnected for 20 years two nights before he disappeared he came to my house he said he was about to change everything science medicine religion he wouldn't have left that sam he wouldn't have left you alan you're acting like i'm gonna find him sitting there working just hey kiddo lost track of time that be something. So, Craig, how did you find Tron Legacy or how did you react even when I initially give it to you? Well, I mean, you did try getting me to watch this film once before, but unfortunately I fell fell asleep 10 minutes into it. <laughs> there was, in my mind, do I just list a bunch of films that Craig has fallen asleep to, <laughs> which would have been about three or four. Yeah, which I don't think it had anything to do with the film itself. I think it was just, just the time of day that we were watching it. Yeah. No, I enjoyed it. I had a I had a good time with this film. I think it would have been beneficial if I had seen Tron beforehand because I still haven't actually seen the original film. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of the lore appreciation that I think some people get from this film, I would have had a better time if I had basically seen that legacy because I think characters like uh like Flynn and like Bradley, I know that a lot of fans were excited to see them, you know, back in this film again just continuing that legacy, but for me, it didn't really have that much of an impact. I think visually this this film is incredible. I think just the overall design uh design of like the worlds and the and the cities uh just immaculate and also just some of the best effects I've seen in a while right I think 
it's very few times that I felt taken out of the experience. I think it felt like a lot of it was physically there, even though like there are times where it has to be computer uh, uh, computer generated effects involved, right? Especially when it comes to like Jeff Bridges and his de aging. Yeah, there's only a handful of scenes where I I look at the younger Jeff Bridges and think that looks a little bit dodgy. The rest of it was fairly immaculate. Um, and even then, I think the only times where I, I sort of felt that was on was on Clue, which was beneficial because obviously him being a fake entity, mm. I was more willing to accept. I was more willing to accept that. Um, and like as you said, the the music was just stunning, um, just very tr- very traditional synth style sci fi, but it just helps you absorb it into the world. I think they I think they misuse the music. I'd say once. Which is when they try and put it over the the real life motorcycle chase at the beginning. Oh yeah, it, it made it feel like it was meant to be part of the sci fi world when it just stood, just just didn't. Yeah, and also the way that they shot that scene as well, just they sort of did it as if it was within that sci fi world, and it just didn't that that didn't work for me. Uh, but when you actually go into the world and you just see all of it come together, and it, it's just just beautiful i also just i also do like the games that they they put in the film i think i think probably my favorite scenes were like the disc wars scenes yeah and like to a lesser extent the the light motorcycle battles as well were like really interesting even though it is basically just a massive game of snake um <laughs> i was thinking that yeah. i think it was able to keep my interest for it just because it was a, a visually spectacular film i think for me just in terms of like getting invested in like the car just getting invested like the characters a bit more i think there's a degree to which i don't see a lot of things pay off in the way i'd probably like them to necessarily uh because i think obviously you've got uh the relationship with sam and his uh sam and his father i felt there wasn't apart from the fact that he you know he just had the natural instinct of wanting to save his father bar that there's nothing there's nothing really to their relationship apart from maybe one scene where he's filling him in on all the things he's missed from the outside world in the time that he's been gone. Mm. But I don't know. I just would have liked to have seen, even if it's just a bit more conflict between the two, because I think you'd imagine that because obviously Sam has been put in charge of the, of the company, even though he doesn't really want to and just shirks those responsibilities, you'd expect there to be some element of, depth of resentment there but just the fact that there's there's nothing so it so then when it gets to like the end of uh oh yeah are we doing spoilers for these films i know i was thinking that uh yeah i I guess spoiler alert from from here on for tron yeah so in the seat at the end where he like sacrifices himself i felt that while it was a a good like a general good moment i felt that if they had just done more with those sorts of relationship there could have been more to actually add that sort of emotional depth and i think that's a lot i think that's the same for a lot of uh characters throughout this because obviously there's such a focus on like the virtual characters there's not really anything built towards in that sense so it does basically just become like a sort of fetch quest which is fine because i think in that situation you rely on the visuals but for me saying it's like a perfect film i think it's the sort of thing that sort of drew me out of it Michael Sheen was spectacularly weird <laughs> and I loved it. I, I did not know what on earth he was doing half the time in the limited scenes he had, but good God, he was just going for it. <laughs> just 
Why was he just shooting with a, a walking cane out of nowhere? <laughs> Who was he shooting? <laughs> exactly. He didn't shoot anyone. He was just shooting a walking cane like, ha 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 I think his inspiration was uh, David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust, is it? Is that one of his alter egos? I think when I looked it up a little bit, he, he inspired some of it from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I was just trying to work out where he was going with it, though. <laughs> I don't know. It was, just a, it was just a weird entertaining performance. Yeah. When I first saw it, I think I was expecting something. Well, especially because you hear, you know, this character Zeus, you're like, oh, you know, this is going to be cool. And then you hear like Michael Sheen and you see the makeup he's in and and there might have been scenes of him like shooting that walking stick before. So you get an idea of what he's going to be like. And I remember originally seeing it like, oh, this isn't at all what I expected. So to have this sort of jokester character, it is a bit weird, especially because everyone else is so serious. And I think in some ways it does help because he sort of, brings you know life then to that part of the film where everyone else is is more serious um yeah but it it does sort of throw you for a loop and it is strange that considering what that character would go through that obviously he says that he's adapted and originally he was fighting for the isos that he would then go oh well i'm not going to be that anymore i'm just going to be this crazy bar owner it's like right why you know i understand the whole element of uh siding with clue and thinking that that's the better trajectory to go down but just the idea of i'm just going to turn into this like madcap guy is strange but okay (laughs) it's just the fact we also don't know what he was like before because he said he had to change a lot about himself and i'm just like please don't tell me you were that stoic before because if you've just then turned to this like what on earth are you doing yeah, and, and you mentioned like most, you know, the strong elements I love about it. I think, like you said, it's visually spectacular. It's just gorgeous to look at. And it's very, uh, very rare that you actually see a film that looks exactly like its concept art. Yeah. So I think that is commendable because it looks so true to life of what the vision was. It's not a scaled back version, which some films are then scared to do where they go, oh, that's a bit too out there. They they go for it, um, which I think is good. Yeah, you can, def- you can definitely tell that from just from like the main visual alone the holding up of the identity uh disc yeah like in even in the film i was just like it felt like they just took a picture of that exact moment and just put it on the poster yeah like it was that true to it well when i was looking up stuff for it i didn't realize that and it makes a lot of sense uh that joseph kaczynski the director was originally an architect so it makes more sense now that he's very heavily involved in the sets and the designs and you could tell that obviously he is very an aesthetics or director but the fact that he was a former architect made made even more sense to like the carrier ships how they sort of go on the two legs and then the the level like lowers down my major problems with it i i've never said it's a perfect film i think it's just important and really cool just elements to it but yeah, it does lose traction sort of halfway through. I think the first hour is spectacular. Yeah, definitely. Um, but then it just becomes a, a bit stale. It was kind. Of, it probably was very hard for them to get out of that because they had this story to tell. So I can't really think of an alternative they could have taken. There's, there's certain things they could have done, um, but it would have then become a different story. I think it's a case of they play their best cards too early. So the light cycle and the disc wars both being at the beginning then meant that you've then got this plane chase at the end, which you're like, this is nothing to do with Tron law kind of thing. So, Not to mention the amount of time they spend on the freight train. Yeah. and, and the... They spend a lot of time on that train. Yeah. 
And I think while having some of the conversations uh, between uh, Sam and Kevin are good, uh, do we need the entire sequence of like fixing Cora? Do we need those sequences of just repairing it and then just readjusting her back into reality? Probably not. But I did appreciate that Jeff Bridges went about there with this whole hippy dippy vibe. So he had very much become, you know, he's meditating and he's getting through this situation by finding his Zen. And, and I enjoyed elements of that when Sam is doing things. He's like, oh, you're crashing my Zen place, man, and, and all this kind of stuff. So I enjoyed that. And that made sense why he didn't care about the corporate stuff as much. Um, I did like yeah. when, you know, he says, oh, how did you learn that move? And, he, you know, he's like, oh, jumping off the tower. And he's like, oh, there's a tower now kind of thing. Yeah, over, overall happy that, that you saw it. Yeah. And like, it, um, hopefully it springboards uh, an interest in me watching the original before whatever comes out for the future. There are times when we're dirt broke and hungry and freezing. And I ask myself, why the hell am I still living here? Or life is yours to no. A bunch of us are getting together tonight. Would you like to come with us? Sure. how lucky you were that we were all friends but it was us baby who were the lucky ones revolution studios presents the musical phenomenon that defined a generation While David chose a film for me uh, in terms of in terms of like a legacy and in, in terms of like an upcoming franchise, uh, I decided to use my film opportunity to right a wrong that has been going on for about about eight years. So essentially, we may have mentioned this before in like one or two of the episodes, but there is a film that I would have liked David to have seen a long time ago that he, along with a group of friends, including some of whom who used to be on film uh, film talk, decided to adamantly say no to ever watching for literally no reason apart from, nah, mate, it sounds shit. Um, <laughs> I did say this, this on the musical on... episode that there was also just a joke of not seeing it because you wanted us to see it so much. Yeah, carrying on that for so long. So I decided to finally end this. And when this, when we decided on this, David has finally seen Rent. Yes. So the film based on the incredibly successful stage musical written by uh, Jonathan Larson, direct, uh, directed by Christopher Columbus. Uh, no, not not the Explorer one. Um, 
basically seeing uh, the lives of a, vari uh, a variety of uh, struggling artists and other, other people living through the 1980s AIDS crisis in New York. Yeah, nice cheery film. Um, I mean, it is in some it is in some ways. There's a lot of like upbeat musical numbers. It's one of those films that like brings up the discussion about whether or not uh, films that are successful on Broadway in the West End should necessarily get a film adaptation. Um, so yeah, David, before seeing this film, how much knowledge of the actual like show as a whole did you sort of have? Yeah, well that that is important to have because, like you said, with with Tron Legacy for yourself, it wasn't a case of, you know, we've gone on to you about this film for years and years, and it's not something that's in the cultural space all too much. And okay, rent might not be in your face all the time, but it does come about because of its fame on, on stage. I sort of link it a lot to that something rotten song of, you know, some musicals are really sad. And that was a lot of my expectations going into this, especially from your reactions and what you had said about it. Um, I knew yeah. it was about AIDS. I knew it was about like a band of characters and different stories. And I knew it was serious. And that was my thinking. And there's an element then of, well, this person keeps talking about this film. So there's the, the risk of them watching it and it actually not being a complete, you know, at all like your expectations. Yeah, I... I didn't know what to think of it at first, especially halfway through, because I was so thrown by this isn't what I expected the film to be at all. And it opened with exactly what I thought it was going to be. So it was literally the five minutes being like, ah, oh, yes, this is what, you know, rent is in my mind. And then it just quickly goes off on a complete tangent that wasn't that. So it took me a good hour or so to get used to, get used to that. So I think my feelings towards it are kind of the same as some other film musicals. And you might not like this comparison, but it reminded me a bit of Into the Woods. Okay. Only in the sense that I really liked Into the... I was list, watching Into the Woods. Like, these songs are really good. And you can tell they're ripped straight from the stage musical. And I really liked they were being completely... Or what appeared to be completely faithful to that original musical. So the strengths of that musical come out in the music and the story but just everything else you're seeing doesn't seem to match up with that. And yeah, it, it doesn't always work as well on film. You can imagine it working well on stage. So I think that was my feelings towards Rent. I think there's a bit of a difference in that the cast of Rent is a lot better than uh, Into the Woods. But I felt that I was really loving the songs. I was really loving some of the musical numbers where they're dancing on you know, the sets and the, the different situations. But I was kind of watching it thinking I would enjoy this more watching it on a stage, seeing a fake train opened up or seeing um, somebody in this fake apartment, a different light in. So that's where I just felt that the film didn't lend itself to what appeared to be the strengths of the musical. I think that's, I be fair, I think, I think one, it's a common criticism of Rent anyway, but as yeah. well as adaptations of, of stage musicals anyway. So I can, I can get that. I think realistically what I, care about more is that any semblance of like the story itself and like representation of characters ra rather than like how well it's pulled off in a film is what i need you to not hate <laughs> no i i definitely don't hate it i think i think where the film uh wants to be successful it is successful in those scenarios so i definitely felt that the aid storyline was the best pulled off I think, is it 
I'll Cover You is like one of my favorite songs in there. So yeah, that's a brilliant song. So that then highlights that relationship very well. And I did feel that that death was just coming. I was just waiting for that person. Uh, again, spoilers from this point on, but uh, Angel, I was, as soon as I met that character, I was like, oh, from my experience of films about AIDS and this isn't going to end well for this character. So yeah, I, I found myself invested in that aspect of the story. I was just surprised that there were so many other scenarios going on. I found myself a bit distracted by the uh is it Mimi and uh Roger I found that yep. was not as strong for me I didn't get on board with that relationship I I think mainly because I didn't really like the performance of Roger Davis is by Adam Pascal I didn't like this guy at all I didn't he seemed really unemotive to me he his singing voice seemed completely separate from his like speaking voice he was doing this weird 80s rock voice which really threw me and seemed against what everyone else was doing i know that was the kind of the point of the character david you know when the film is set right i know it's in the 90s yeah and i i understood what it was in the 80s well it literally is new year and it's like 1990 i think (laughs) when it's new year but either way yes 80s 90s so yeah i understand that but it's just the fact that the rest of the characters weren't like that it was just him and it was just the fact that it was such a cliched rock voice it, it was the literal but he's a rock star he's a failed i know rock but star. I, there was just so many things going on with the characters i was like well this film isn't about the failed rock star it was just because you had all these other people like i found that it about all of them yeah i know that's that's what i mean that's why i found it was a bit much to get on board with that as well as all the other big personalities and, and different storylines going on i felt the mark's storyline was a lot more captivating and the idea of them just being like a band of artists that's where i felt he didn't quite fit into that band of artists because he seemed quite different in that sense i get the whole struggling to make a song stuff that that made sense to me but again it was just that his singing voice was so against what everyone else was doing i just found it really jarring but i i did enjoy rosario dawson as mimi i i i thought she was good and i said to you i was intrigued by the casting and it was her that i was intrigued by cuz i'd never seen rosario oh, dawson okay. in much before see i looked at the cast list and saw Sil- sarah silverman i thought that's who david's looking out for i didn't see i looked at the main cast i didn't see her in that so when i saw her in the film i was like oh sarah silverman yeah um, okay no this was more because she's been cast as ahsoka in the live action in the mandalorian she's going to be the live action ahsoka i was like oh yay i will have seen rosario dawson in something to then get a grasp of yes she is good or she is bad so uh i enjoyed her performance like i said i just found that their their, their songs and their storyline was my least favorite part of the entire entire film okay and like i said i felt that the strongest was the you know, Angel and uh, is it Tom? Yeah, uh, Tom know, Collins. Yeah, along with the Mark stuff, I found that was the more captivating storylines. But but it was also the the fact that I did expect so much of this seriousness and this some musicals are really sad idea. I was just surprised by how many upbeat numbers there were. And it makes sense to me that that's why you clung to it in, like you said, the lyrical uh, creativity they do with it. And it did make me enjoy the songs more than I expected because I don't usually enjoy more somber ballads, etc. So, yeah. you know, I, I did like Seasons of Love. Um, 
I really liked Rent. I thought that was impressive as an opening number. Just the idea that there's all this fire in the street. I, I didn't expect, you know, a, a film musical to go to that level of, yeah, we're just going to do this. Um, yep. I think uh, the Tango Maureen was one of my favorites. Um, that was really fun. And that was kind of showed a bit more about my problems with the film is that I wish that kind of took the stage elements of, and this completely changed the scenario and go into this imaginative ballroom tango um, with say when they're in a realistic situation and they're trying to be creative with it, it, it could have used that similar this jump out to the situation to to make it more inventive um yeah there's, the... there's one scene i'm dying to talk to you about but i'm gonna <laughs> see if you just bring it up organically and yeah the other two songs i really liked was la vie bohème and i'll cover you which which i had mentioned yeah. before and like i said la vie bohème like i said i think that is one that works in the context of the film i think because it's a central location I, again, I could see elements of it working better on stage. The fact that, you know, the guy sort of flips back and they all carry him and they do the sort of fake eulogy. I think all of that is fun. But yeah, I just felt that alongside that, the storyline didn't... I just found it hard because there's so many different storylines going on and the fact that they're, the entire point of it is called Rent and there's this guy who's sometimes asking for Rent, sometimes not. I was surprised at that. Are you God seriously thing. looking into the actual actual choosing of the name? <laughs> I was expecting this to be more overtly capitalist, Craig. <laughs> I wanted... Where's my monopoly? Where is my monopoly? <laughs> I wanted more specifics about rent collection. <laughs> no, it's just the it fact... Is them dodging rent, basically? Yeah, no, I, I got that. It's just the fact that I expected, because it was a collective thing of a group, I thought it was going to be a bit more about how the struggles of paying rent and getting by as a creative, but because they took so many diversions into the relationship of uh, Indina Menzel's character, those two, and then diverting, like I said, to Mimi and Roger, I was... Yeah, but you know that they're using rent as like a broader term in this situation, right? So it's not just the idea of like physically paying rent, but it's also the things in which you borrow from each other. It's... That's why that's why in you, one of your favorite songs of the film, there yeah. is the lyric, I know you can't, like, they say you can't buy love, but I know you can rent it. Yeah, I know, I'm not that hung up on the rent thing. What, why is mainly... Why'd you bring it up? Because I'm alluded to the fact that there's this entire storyline about the f- former friend taking over that building, which will get rid of a load of homeless people. So at the beginning of the film, when they sort of give him crap about that, I expected that to be a bigger element. So the fact that that kept sort of creeping in and out and that character kept coming in and out, and then he was there at the end, like, yeah, I'm part of the gang. I was like, I don't feel like you've really earned your place in in this song. Um, so that's just where, yeah, I was disappointed that there wasn't more of a... Similar to like Avenue Q, there's... Characters are sort of struggling, but there's that like one trajectory that they all sort of form together at the end, and there wasn't that one sort of like current storyline that they they all fall through to the end. So that's why I expected it to be the the building and the the protests and that kind of thing, or or that guy sort of fleecing them for rent. But but like I said, I still found that the aid stuff was really powerful. I liked that montage where like the characters are fading out from the meeting. I thought that was powerful. So you get that really yeah. like, heartbreaking shot of Angel on the train. Um, I really enjoyed, like I said, some of uh, Mark's stuff with the creativity with with the camera and uh, 
the Tango Maureen. I, I found all of that was fun. But yeah, there, there was just a lot of other stuff that I found so more questionable. How many songs there were, which is also rare for a film musical to take the dedication of pretty much taking that many songs. I think on the album is 28. And in comparison to The Great Showman, which is 11, that is, you know, a big uh, devotion, If especially if somebody is on the fence about musicals. Well, I think it shows in the amount of actual dialogue scenes you physically get, right? They try to use the songs a lot more to convey, like, the motions and, like, actually get through the story. And there aren't as many dialogue scenes as other, like, adapted movie musical scenes, right? Yeah, I think that's where, again, where it makes sense that you have more of a cling to it because I'm not always as good with the sort of lyrical side of stuff. So sometimes when there was those emotional moments... And they started singing. I was like, I kind of wish that you did this in dialogue a bit more and then had a song later on. So for me, I would have liked a bit more dialogue. But again, that's why I felt that this is why I can see they would work better on stage. Where you're sort of more focused on that. But yeah, I found Chris Columbus was an interesting director for this. Some of it, like I said, came across well. That he he bigs up the the more elaborate elements of it. Um, but then sometimes I feel that it's a bit too bright and colourful and sometimes it looked a bit like a TV movie, the way it was filmed. It was a bit strange, which then didn't lend itself to some maybe of the more serious elements of, of the storyline. But again, maybe I'd have to watch the stage musical to, to sort of understand that better. I did see that they did a few TV recordings of it, which have some of the film cast in in the cast of this. So the person who plays Angel plays Angel again in the TV recording they did of rent which i thought was interesting yeah like i said i, I think i'd definitely go back to the soundtrack i would definitely go back to moments in it it's just whether i'd sort of watch it all through again as as i feel that there are elements of it and scenes of it which i really liked but not every aspect of it and i think as well makes me interested in seeing the stage musical more as well which is the same as tron it's, you know it's good that it's made you want to see the further world of that as well yeah So yeah, our, our usual section, which is the movie vault. How are we feeling towards that? Realistically, I don't know, because I feel like this is where we're going to fight. <laughs> Let them fight. I feel, I feel like we should have a very basic metric for this, mm. which is that if we say as a whole, yeah. if we generally had a pleasant time viewing the film... Yeah, because we we basically put a lot of the metric of like to what extent because some of the reasons we chose this is we wanted to see how much it, it ignited our passion for everything else surrounding this film. Yeah, right. So mm -hmm. for me, it's would I become interested in the, the Tron franchise? For you, would it like ignite more of an interest to try and see other adaptations of Rent? Yeah, and I feel like if we can say if the film successfully does that for us. It yeah. deserves to go in the film vault for that metric. Yeah, true. Because I feel like we can both say that, like, because there are going to be loads of different interpretations of whether or not the films that we watched were generally, like, great or not. But I feel like for what we're trying to achieve today, that's probably a better metric. Yeah, we're not approaching it as, like, what is the best musical or what is the best no. this or that. So um, that's where I felt that maybe the natural conclusion would have been neither of them because it is always going to be biased as to you prefer that, you know, like you were fine for this film. I was fine for that film um, because I think to me, 
while I think the Tron would maybe be a good choice if I was, you know, if we were arguing for each other's films because of, like I said, the tropes that it initiated and the visuals and everything like that. I'm like, but at the same time, did it make much a big enough impact that I'd be fine with it not going in? But then the same thing with Rent because we brought up maybe stronger or bigger musicals in our musical episode that even as a, as a group of people who had watched Rent as well, we didn't choose at that, at that moment. So, so I, I don't know what it's kind of, it's kind of like you said, it's, it's a case of, do they both go in on the, on the merits of they both did what they wanted and we want to explore the worlds more or did neither of them go in because it's going to, you know, it's personally, I think both go in. Yeah. I, I, I think let's be fair. We've put in a lot of films in the film vault that have issues with them. Yeah, but we we did so on the on the basis of, in some way, do they deserve watching? Yeah. And I feel like with our discussions, they are, even if it's for what they do for other media, I think they deserve watching. So therefore, I think they both go in. And even the metric of we went up at this as a film that that person's never seen and they need to see. So even though those films that I had come across, which I was like, oh, I don't think Craig's seen that, but. I don't yeah. care that Craig has never seen that, you know. So there's also that. So the fact that we picked them out shows that yeah. they're films that should, people should revisit. So yeah, I'm I'm happy with that that angle. Cool. So yeah, going into the movie vault this week is both Rent and Tron Legacy. Check them both out if you haven't before, guys. Let us know what you think. Uh, we're probably the the two films would be most happy to know what you think, considering our discussions today. Um, and yeah, if there's any films that you have tried to get friends to watch, which they haven't, or ones that you've recommended to people or always wanted people to see, what are your standout movies that come to mind when you think of those those types of films? Also, just films that you want us to watch would yeah. also be good to know. Yeah, definitely. So we now go on to our traditional end game. So Craig, what, what have we got planned today? Well... Obviously, it's just us again. Uh, obviously, uh, we've just had a lot of investment in individual films. So this game is going to be a you versus me challenge. But obviously, it is something that we've both prepared for. So this game is called Have You Been Watching? Nice little play on the TV show you have been watching. So the idea is that we have written questions about the film that we set for the other person that the other person should now have to get just to see how much they were paying attention yeah no let's just do one person at a time so are you ready david yes question one what is the date mentioned at the beginning of the film i want the exact date i would imagine it's 24th of December 1989 correct and that that's another thing like you kept saying like oh you guys need to watch this film or maybe you never watched it with us because it was set at Christmas <laughs> which would have gone against oh, your rules on Christmas that. films <laughs> don't start that for god's sake <laughs> sometimes David it's just nice if you just suck it up and just acknowledge when you're wrong no I'm just saying that uh it's just funny because you have a rule about Christmas films at other times yeah, of the year, so maybe I, there was a, a hidden agenda. I'm not going to lie, I forgot that Christmas was even a factor. It's not really <laughs> a factor, it's just when the film is. 
in the same way that I would still watch Die Hard, in the same way that I would still watch something like Iron Man 3, even though it begins at New Year. Right, question number two. What is Maureen's protest in aid of? Evicting, well, moving homeless people out of an empty building. Maureen's protest. Yeah. The homeless. Yep, I'll accept that. Question number three. What is the name of the club that Mimi dances at? Oh, um, I remember seeing this in something when I was reading up about like the cast or something. I want to say something to do with like birds or something. <laughs> uh, I don't know, Foxy. I'm just going to say Foxy's. <laughs> it's the Cat Scratch Club. Oh. So neither fox or birds. <laughs> no, that's why I was like, please go with birds. It'll be hilarious when you get this wrong. Uh, okay, number four. Complete this lyric. There's only there's only us. There's only this. Forget blank. What's the lyric again? There's only us. There's only this. Forget blank. Forget everyone else. Is that your final answer? Sure. The answer was regret. Ah. There's I didn't know if you were going to say rent. Only us, there's only this. Forget ah. regret. It's one of the it's one of the lyrics that comes up the most throughout the film. Number five. What is the name of the bulldog mentioned in Maureen's speech in Over the Moon? The bulldog. Um, Spike. Nope. The answer was Benny, because oh, okay. she made the allu- She also suggested that Benny, the character who's like forcing them out, was that bulldog, basically. Yeah, I did think that, and I was like, "What's that guy's name?" So the fact that I couldn't remember his either, I was like, "Go for." You thought his name dog. could have been Spike. <laughs> I just went for a generic bulldog name. Fair enough. And finally, question number six. There's Spike and Tyke to be it. <laughs> what, uh, which news agency uh, does Mark end up working for? Oh, what's it called? That's the question, David. Yeah. Is, is it the program? Like the program, is it? Uh, it's specifically the, the channel. So it's like you, you can see it written on a van at one point and they constantly say this is who they're working for. Yeah. I think I know one of the words that's in it, is it? Is it Buzzline? Correct. Yes. Because <laughs> I remember thinking it sounded like BuzzFeed. So I was like... Yeah. So at the end of that, you scored three out of six. So your turn, yeah? Yeah. What two mu- musicians are DJing at the end of the line club? So the end of the line club, which is the club run by Zeus. What are the two musicians who are DJing at the club? Oh my god! I where is that even said? <laughs> it's not said, but it's very very visual. They 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 cut to them a good three or four times. Oh my god! You're gonna kick yourself with this. <laughs> Five. Four. Oh no! I'm gonna right at this point. I'm gonna ass- I'm going to assume that it's gonna be characters that we've actually. It's gonna be characters that we've seen. So I'm just going to assume one of them is is Rinza. Yeah. And one of them is Jem. 
Nope. So I said, what two musicians? Oh, musicians. So the answer what is it? Daft Punk. It's the cameo from Daft Punk in the film. <laughs> okay, that was missed. That was missed on me. <laughs> yeah. So the people obviously did the soundtrack for it to make their appearance in the film. Next, what digitized sound can be heard as Sam kills the last guard of the flying ship's cockpit? So what famous sound, which has been digitized, so has been edited, can be heard as Sam kills one of the guards on the flying ship's cockpit? Some... It's a famous sound that is given a Tron effect. So it's the, the grids version of this famous movie sound. Wait, did you say movie sound? Yeah. Oh, is it the Wilhelm scream? Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering how much I should give it to you, but then, yeah, when it just said digitized sound, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll throw in the movie. movie. Yeah, because I was thinking I, th- I was thinking it could have been the rings from Sonic. Ah, uh, right, no. Yeah, so... I, the, I, didn't, the... I didn't notice it, so... No, it... When I did listen back to it, it's not, like I saw it as a trivia, but when I heard it myself, I was like, that's not immediately clear. It does sound somewhat yeah. like it, but they do edit it a lot. Okay, so uh, one point so far. What song, no, sorry, the song, Worlds Apart, brackets, separate ways, which appears in the arcade, is sung by which 80s rock band? So at the start of the film, a song plays in the arcade, which is called Worlds Apart, brackets, separate ways. What famous 80s rock band plays that song? I am denied about whether or not I should look this up, and I didn't. <laughs> oh. Just think of famous 80s rock bands. Is it Toto? Oh. It's Journey. <laughs> oh, and I was so close to saying in the in when we I was talking about Red that Roger davis the character sounded like somebody from journey and i was like don't say yeah. it because it'll allude to that question yeah which is a banging song as well when sam is suited up for the games he asks one of the four sirens called Jem, what he's supposed to do what is her response survive yes yeah so that's the scene where they unclothe him and put him in his tron suit and, uh, I mean, I clearly remember that scene. Yeah. <laughs> and then they uh, back away and, uh, yeah, she very spookily is, survive. Well, like, she also sees him later in the film and she's like, so you followed my advice. Yeah. So, so it's a really hard thing to forget. And at which point I'm always like, oh, so you don't stay in that pod thing all the time. <laughs> they no. do allow you to go outside. What game does Cora tell Sam she can really beat Flynn at? Now, they cut to this. They don't actually say the name of the game. I will say that, but you see see the game. So it's a game oh, that's in in the uh, apartment or residence of Flynn and Cora. Yeah. What famous game can she really beat Flynn at? Can you tell? Can I? Can I ask if it's a video game or a or like a no it's, physical it's, game? It's a board game. Um. Well. Okay. It's a strategy game akin to something like chess. It's a kind of okay. counter sort of counter and grid game. If the answer is actually chess, that's a brilliant way of throwing it off. <laughs> oh, it's um. I'll give you a clue as well. Uh, it's notorious for being difficult for computers to play, so that's why they put this game in there. 
which is why she says the line like, oh, you know, Flynn usually beats me because he hasn't, he's got more patience than I have. I don't know. I'm just going to say drafts. <laughs> it does look like drafts, but unfortunately. I just can't remember. I think I know the game. I can't remember what it's called. It's Go. Right. <laughs> so next one, another bit of trivia. Hopefully you know this. Yeah, hopefully. So Joseph Kaczynski, who's the director of Tron Legacy, directed yep. what other sci-fi spectacle that features another lone character in a desolate world? And he'd made this after Tron Legacy. Oh, I do know this, I think. It's Oblivion. Yes, it is Oblivion. Yeah, so 2013, he made, he directed Oblivion. Uh, so yeah, three years after Tron Yeah, Legacy. and I would say that Oblivion is a spectacularly better film. <laughs> and does, again, show off his talent for design and uh, yeah. cinematography. So, yeah, in that one, you had three points was it you had the Wilhelm scream oblivion and yeah so you had three yeah and so three out of six what did i get three out of six oh wow (laughs) so uh carry those through to next time or something is it yeah we'll carry them so basically this is the first end game to actually end in a draw because there's no there's no fair way for us to determine the winner after that no basically do the taskmaster system so we take the points that we earned from the anniversary episode yeah we take the points that we had got from today so basically and then we choose a point at which point there's like the ultimate winner but today's yeah. episode just ends in the draw yeah <laughs> a first which is yeah very fitting i would point our... out that some of your questions were a lot harsher than mine let's be fair <laughs> yeah i did think it, it was more because even watching through tron, tron legacy i was like there's not as much it was all visuals. It was all like, the oh, thing, look David, at this. I made no. notes on things you could have asked me. Oh. I made loads of notes on like difficult terms that I thought oh. you were going to make questions out of, and you didn't. I thought you were going to ask me things like, what does Clue stand for? Uh, oh. And like, what is the full name of an ISO? Or like, uh, what is the operating system that uh, uh, that um, the company is trying to launch that gets released online? I wrote down things like that. Not like, oh. is Daft punk in the film <laughs> watch that scene and you'll see how many times they cut back to them though to be fair um yeah i, I thought I, I did think of stuff like that i was like oh do i ask like what are the beings called and i was like no that's too easy they do say very clearly isos but yeah um but then if it was things like what do they stand for then that would have gone more into the trivia so i was just looking at things that were visual that you might have seen and just known the answer or something you heard like oh that's you know journey or i can just guess yeah so toto was a good guess it was very close yeah, I mean, Journey is the closest question to something that I borderline thought about when watching the film, but just decided, nah, he's not going to ask a question on that. Yeah, and like Oblivion, you know, like with the Oblivion thing, I knew like we had gone to see that film together. So I was like, right, I know. No, I remember briefly seeing, seeing that name because uh, I think I clicked on like Wikipedia for uh, the director like once. Yeah. But I didn't look was, at it properly. Thank you, Craig, for joining me today. And, uh, I think we both had fun in experiencing these long-awaited films. And yep. uh, thank you, everyone at home, for listening. Like I said, we've uh, had fun talking about these individual films. Uh, definitely two different types of movies, which have been out for a number of years. So please do go check them out as well. And, uh, yeah, we 
Hope to have more episodes like this in the future. We've enjoyed our anniversary month. Uh, go check out our commentary on Return to Oz. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we got some, you know, that'll be our first episode that you can get on our official Well Good Movies YouTube page. So head over today and please subscribe to that. And as usual, follow us on whatever uh, podcast outlet that you use. Review us, rate us on iTunes. Uh, follow us on Spotify and follow us on all our social medias, which is Well Good Movies or Fresh Take Hub. Anything else from yourself, Craig? Yes, I'd like to use this opportunity to officially res- uh, announce my resignation from the show because I cannot <laughs> wor- work with someone who has horrendous views like Rent isn't the best movie ever. <laughs> Fair. That's it. You've just been waiting all these years. Like once he watches Rent, then my mission will be will be over yeah i've just been looking for a reason to cancel you over after all these years (laughs) to be honest david uh well there'll be plenty more films like said guys that we haven't seen before we'll be experiencing for the first time and many others that we have loved over the years which we'll be talking about uh so we look forward to joining you on our next episode uh, which might be linked in to may the 4th so as usual it's been fun craig and yeah i'll catch you on the next one all right Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Let's be let's be fair. I'm also happy with this film having a smaller, dedicated audience than say a mainstream who are necessarily going to rag on it for for no reason. Especially considering some of the controversial issues that this story holds. Right? I would rather that a bunch of ignorant, no sense bell ends just kept away and leave leave me with my film. <laughs>